0: Here's one. Hey Steve, one of my favorite matches of all time was yourself against Triple H. Two out of three falls at I think No Way Out 2003. Maybe I'm wrong, it may have been 2001 or two or even four. I have a VHS tape of it somewhere. I love that match to pieces. The concept of breaking a man's spirit Better the man etc was an outstanding match with an incredible end with hunter only just getting the victory by falling onto you lifelessly after a double impact chair and sledgehammer shot awesome how do you prepare for such a long-winded match how was that match and what was it like working with triple h back in the day anyway would like to hear from you that's from old scotty skull 26 years of age lifetime wrestling fan well scotty I remember that match. I remember it well. It was a bust-ass, badass match. And I think, if I remember correctly, I was coming back from an injury, a layoff, or something. And I actually got blowed up sky-high in that match, and I think I messed up a couple of high spots as well. It was pretty sloppy on my behalf in regards to working with Triple H. I've always enjoyed working with Triple H. The thing about working with him is, He's pretty much a complete ring general, as I am. So anyway, uh, very, very much mutual respect, always on the same page with each other in regards to timing and what's going to happen next. We kind of really are able to read each other's minds. And so, yeah, Triple H went over in that match. And I was laying there tired as hell because, like I said, I think I blew up in that match because of uh, inactivity or coming back from an injury. And it was a long ass match with the three stages. And then finally, some fan just threw a can of beer in the ring, and that damn thing bounced right off my forehead. It didn't hurt. The only reason I rolled over, if I did, was just because, you know, when you belly up, you're prone to, you know, More injury if people gonna keep throwing stuff in the ring. So I rolled over, but it shockingly didn't really even hurt that much. Just bounced off my damn head, and I'm so damn hard-headed, it just really caught me off guard. And I wish I would open the damn thing because I would proceed proceeded to drink it if I didn't have to sell all that stuff that Triple H and I had done. But that's what I remember about that match. It was a hell of a physical match. It was a great concept. Hell of a pop when Triple H went over too because I had a ton of steam. And I think it caught the people by surprise that I did the J-O-B. But uh, Triple H, class act, dig working with him, always liked working with him.
2: welcome back to another episode of the New Blood Rising podcast. We are in our special series, The Perfect Tens, and this is a very special episode for me because uh, I'm joined by somebody who really influenced me to get into this in the first place. Years ago, like when I was, I, I was just somebody listening to podcasts and you, you pick and choose kind of the ones that kind of fit your niche. Like I remember... The first one I listened to was the AE pod. I was listening to the Attitude Era podcast. I was like, okay, this is cool. And then I was like, well, what else is there out there? What else? Like, Because I wanted to get beyond just the Attitude Era. And the first one I found happened to be the Place to Be podcast. And the thing was, I remember going through listening to it. And I was like, this sounds so much fun. Not just the content being awesome because I like wrestling. But this sounds so much fun to do, especially when you have friends that like wrestling too. And it was fun to listen to this pod grow, not just in terms of, you know, the timelines it would go through, but just hearing them just get so much better and just be able to it's like watching like the perfect kind of dance partners go and so influential on me. So with that being said, I am pleased to have Scott Criscolo on the line. Thank you so much for doing this.
3: (laughs) Uh, It's an honor to be here, man. Uh, Thank you for that introduction. Um. You know, it's it's funny because at this stage of my podcast career and, and to make clear, for those that may not know, um, I was in radio for 11 years uh, before I actually podcasted uh, when it was a thing, when it wasn't a thing. And um, I have to say that that I met uh, Jr. around the time that I left the business and uh, we met through another job. And, um, you know. I, we had chomped at the bit for eight years on wanting to like get our stuff out there. We started doing written pod, uh, written uh, reviews, and and then when podcasting really started to kind of become a thing in you know 2010 2011, uh, we were like, yeah, you know, why don't we start doing that? And the Place B podcast was born. And I let him name it because he's the Seinfeld guy, so I let him name it, and I had no problem with that. But <laughs> but uh, um, uh, thank you, uh, and thanks to those who still listen, uh, we're 547 strong. And, uh, we've had our ups and downs, not him and I personally, but ups and downs and content and what to do. And, and, uh, um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun and, and, hearing, hearing you say that is, is it means a lot. And I will get more into that at the end. Cause I'm sure we are going plug happy, but, um, it's great to be here. It's nice to be, I'm not a guest that often anymore. So it's nice. It feels good to still be, you know, wanted on other shows. <laughs> you don't you don't feel dated you know what i mean
2: (laughs) no i got scott when what year did you guys start because i remember the first one i listened to i was like okay this must be in the year like was it 2010 that you guys
3: started february 2011
2: okay february
3: okay did a headline show and then we did the first wrestle no i'm sorry uh i think episode three was the first wrestlemania episode one we did like a headlines and kind of a hi how are you episode two i will never forget this we did a we did a um Major League – this is before – this is back when we were doing everything, not just wrestling. And episode two was um, a Major League Baseball off-season special. And him and I talked – we did a Saturday night, and we talked till like quarter to three in the morning. We had no idea. Wow. <laughs> this pod was like two and a half hours long. It was utterly ridiculous. Um, uh, uh, it was crazy. So um, – but yeah, February of 2011 is when the podcast started. And then our website, placetobenation.com, launched on my birthday – uh, Feb, uh, June 1st, 2013. But the specific pod, the Place Be Podcast, has been around since February of 2011.
2: That's, and like, we've been around. So we've been podding now. This will be, this is year five, or we're going into year six for us. We've been doing it for five. And the thing that's funny is when, when we go back and listen to those, like, it's so funny how our format changed. And we just needed time to figure out how we were going to do it. Cause I remember in the beginning, like, like I would write down like every hold in a match. and I was like, I don't know if this works for me. And it just took a while to figure out, like, how do I look at a match and how am I going to talk about it? D- did you find that a lot when you started?
3: Yeah, I mean, we we uh, it was a very easy um, for us early on in terms of talking matches, because when we started chronologically, uh, we were talking the 80s. So the, what we call the Federation era. And that was so much fun. So between WrestleMania one and say like Survivor Series 92, um, pretty much the Hogan era for the most part, Um, that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun because it was the 80s. I grew up a little older than Jr. So I I grew up through most of that. And and uh, that part's easy. It's when you got to really dig deep, like 95 and 90, maybe not 96, but like mid 94 into 95 When you're trying to do your best to figure out how uh, the Sid versus Diesel matchroom in your house one can be captivating for anybody. And and that's how that's how J.R. and I would try to incorporate a lot of comedy or just try to be funny because there are some shows that are just a mess to try to to chew on. Um, So one thing him and I always learned to do well was to incorporate some humor into the shows that him and I know we're going to be stinkers in terms of the content. We're always confident in our, in our shows. Uh, I will always say that him and I, even if, if he had a bad day at work or I had a bad day at work and we'd fire up, how'd you do today? That eh, sucked. Yeah, me too. But you know, we will be fine. And whether I'm drinking something or whatever, having coffee, um, I'm feeling good. And once we hit the light, him and I are on. So for us, it was always, it was, it depended on what the the, the content we were going to chew on that night was and whether we, whether the content could stand on its own or whether we would inject a little fun into a little humor, some extra, you know, some extra music bet bits or, you know, El Guiante would come out or, you know, right. Vince, Vince, you know, Terry Funk. Yeah. Cool. Uh, you know, where I go, uh, you know, come on, Dennis, you know, like <laughs> things like that, you know, um, that kind of stuff, depending on the top. But then there's other times, like one of my favorite pods, not to, I didn't mean to be long winded, but, um, which I always get accused of, uh, um, <laughs> Um, like WrestleMania 17, him and I have always considered one of our premier pods, and that was just pure content because we knew it was it's it's an awesome show. Uh, I'm going to refer to it this evening, um, and it's a great show and it stands on its own. But when you're talking about like, I don't know, let me think of a real stinker. Um, Judgment Day 2003. you like, oh god! But <laughs> we find a way to have fun with it, and then there's usually diamonds and the roughs and things like that. So to answer your question, when it comes to talking matches a lot of it depends on the era the guys you know things like that but sometimes it's a struggle it's never easy it's never easy but sometimes it's a struggle
2: the other thing that was so interesting is like you guys are pre-network which is awesome because we're spoiled now we can just fire this thing up like so, like the birth of the WWE network just Spawn so many podcasts because it was like okay cool so we can take this we can just go fire up the network and watch this show which before then like you had to have tapes or you had to have dvds you had to, and that's what i always thought was really impressive i was like wow like how how you all got content how are you able to get the shows or have the shows that's really interesting to me too
3: uh, for me, it was DVDs. Uh, you know, always know the running gag. I, I, J, he had Studio A because he was he would record, and I had Studio B. And, oh, I'm looking at my DVD shelf, and that was always the running joke. Hey, want to look at Scott's DVD shelf? And that was my – but I, I had – as a matter of fact, I'm looking at it right now here in Studio B. Um, I have a bag of all of – a ton of my wrestling pay-per-view. I was collecting um, – I have the DVDs. I, own, I collect them like crazy. JR would usually find them on – he either tape them or he find them on YouTube or something. He didn't collect the DVDs as stringently as I did. Um, as a matter of fact, I uh, I stopped. Uh, if you'll find this funny, I stopped at Night of Champions 2017. So even three years after the network started, I was still collecting. Once a collector, wow. always a collector. It's not hard. It's not. It's not easy to unscratch that itch when you collect. But by 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 the end of 17, I realized, you know what? I really don't need to do this anymore. So. So I did finally stop and then I bagged them all because I needed room on my shelves for, you know, non wrestling things, horror movies and such and other, you know, theme stuff, sci fi, you know, you know, typical nerd thing. You know, if you're like wrestling, you usually like either superheroes, Mm -hmm. video games, horror, um, comics, sci fi, like (laughs) they all kind of go together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I needed more room for that. So all my I still have them. I'm not going to throw them out. Hell no, because God knows what (laughs) at this at this stage of WWE, God only knows what uh, is going to happen with the company at this point. Oh, my
2: gosh. I mean, literally today, there's a, a lawsuit now filed against all the top executives, including the guy we're going to be talking about tonight. So that's, it's, you never know. And that's, and the thing, it's funny. It's like, for example, like, you know, a few pods ago on A Perfect Ten, we did Royal Rumble 01 and we watched on the network. Now I own that on DVD. There's just one of the rare ones I happen to own. And what I found funny was watching on the network. Yeah, you know, Steve's music is, they, they have dubbed over the disturbed with the, uh, his classic theme. But when you watch the match we're gonna watch tonight—it's back to the Disturb theme—and I was like, "Interesting, interesting."
3: <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, in, in a lot of cases, like Rick, even old school stuff, like Rick Derringer's stuff gets dubbed over. Except Real American—I yeah. think WWE owns Real American—but like Demolition's theme sometimes gets dumped over. Um, Dusty's theme gets dubbed over. You know, uh, 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 you know, yep. Dream—that like that gets dubbed over sometimes. WWE is very weird about that kind of thing. Obviously, Jerry—the funniest thing about the network on a side note, if you watch a nitro with Jericho, they put in his like, yeah, like not as weird, but yeah. he uses like the theme he used in like, you know, 2001, two, three, four, like that era, which I find, um, utterly, uh, utterly hilarious. So, um, yeah, but you never know. I will never throw my DVDs out. No way. I do have some wrestling DVDs on my shelf. I was actually very OCD about it. I kept the stuff on my shelf that is not on the network like comps like the msg blu-ray uh the legends of mid-south almost the mid-south stuff is in the episodes things like that like the savage uh comp that kind of stuff i still have on my shelf because the network doesn't have those but anything that the network has i i've bagged and and safely put away but i'll never throw them out like i said once you're a collector always your collector but for me for the to answer your question for me i have all the dvds so for me it was never hard and either jr i would loan them to jr and he would rip them or or um he'd find like a stream or have a tape or something. So uh we were very lucky, I will say that. Because it's it, you know, pre February of fourteen, uh not easy. As a matter of fact, interesting trivia, sir. The first thing I ever watched on the net let me ask you this, if you don't mind my asking. Look at me, sure, I'm turning the tables. Sure. So it's it's hard for me sometimes to not to no, I understand. <laughs> it's okay. What was it's the first okay. thing what was the first thing you ever watched on the network? When the network launched, what was the first thing you watched?
2: Um Oh gosh, it was. I feel yeah. I think I know what it is. Like it's SummerSlam '91. That's a because it's my it's like one of my all-time favorite pay-per-views. It's my all my all-time favorite matches in there. It's Bret versus Perfect. That's my all-time favorite. And um, yeah, I because that was when I had on tape and I didn't have a VCR anymore. So I was like, you know what, I haven't seen this in a minute. So let's put this on. What was your first?
3: My first fittingly because JR and I were recording that night uh we were doing a vintage vault and the first thing I ever watched on the network well the first thing I put on the network was I I went to Over the Edge 1999 cuz I wanted to see if they would put Owen's oh, death yeah. announcement and at the time they did they kept it in since now in the last sometime in the last 6 years obviously they've edited it but when they first put it on the network it had JR announcing that Owen had died so I would for some reason that that like morbidly Cur- made me curious. The first full show I watched was um, Survivor Series 2001 because we were doing a we were doing a vault that night. So that's how loyal that's that's how it was for him and I. What do we got? Yeah. What do we got tonight? Oh, winner take all WWE versus Alliance. So I had to watch Survivor Series one. We ended up not doing it that night. We ended up doing a show on. If you go back to our 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 archives, play a uh, place to be dot com. If you go back to the archives to February of 2014 um, we did a show that night on the launch of the network so we changed topics that night and talked about the launch of the network but we were originally supposed to do Survivor series 2001 so um, I always find that funny. A lot of people that I've talked to either watched actually you're not the first you're not the first one I've heard that watched SummerSlam 91 first believe it or not okay. um, uh, some people watch bash 91 Great American Bash you know some WCW
2: okay.
1: yeah.
3: bash 89. Um, somebody, my buddy watched Sin. Like, really? You oh, waste wow. the bandwidth on that. <laughs> What's the matter with you? Get a grip. Um, but yeah. So, uh, yeah, the network has been a godsend, and now with other shows that I do, and then I'm on. Thank God for like New Japan Pro Wrestling, you know, No Japan World, and yeah. uh, Impact Plus. I pay for Impact Plus, which actually is not as bad a streaming service as people think it is. When global When Global Force was running it, it was garbage. But now that Impact kind of holds it on its own. It's a lot better of an of an of a, a service like you know interface than people think, um, but thank God for that because I don't know what the hell I would have done trying to find like Impact Paper Views and things like that for doing oh, the yeah, shows. yeah, of course, it's yeah, crazy. But um, the network has been a godsend, and I don't know if it's the one thing that's kind of keeping WWE afloat. I don't know. <laughs> I, time will tell, you know.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's and it's one of those things that like. Um, you know, we were talking about a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about some of, some of their docs and, like, how they can, it, it's funny how they can be really hit and miss. Like, some of their series were, like, we're talking about Ruthless Aggression, and my thing about it was, like, it feels like it's, like, already, like, three episodes too long, and, it, and at times, it just feels like, dump the narrator, guys. Look, hey, you guys have worked with ESPN. They've done the best sports docs. Watch those. Do those. And then what's funny is you see like Edge WWE 20 or is 20, the Edge 24 episode or the even the preview for Undertaker Last Ride. And I was like, you guys can nail it sometimes. And then sometimes you just kind of, it, it feels like it meanders. It meanders and it's just kind of, it kind of feels tepid at times. And I there are parts of Ruthless Aggression I dig.
3: I like those docs. It's probably the thing I like the most on there. I agree. Uh, the I, I watched all the Ruthless Aggression docs. And, of course, the Evolution one's the best. Um, you can, you yes. don't have to watch any of the others. It is. it is. No, no, no. It, and, I,
2: <laughs> and it actually is. like I'd say the, the Evolution and the Brock one are are really good. I like those
3: two a lot. The Brock one annoyed me only because he wasn't on. Like Brock, you know, enough, with, yeah. enough with Brock yeah. being a standoffish pain in the ass. Like if he, that's why w, now see, to, to, I'm going to back your point up because for stuff like that, if you know, you're not going to get Brock to do it, then don't do it. It's yeah. stupid. That's a good point. I didn't really save think it
1: because yeah.
3: they're not doing it again until the fall. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. That it wasn't bad. I was very good, but it could have been better if they actually had Brock on. I thought the Cena one was really good. Like I never realized how close he was to getting fired. Like that was, that kind of threw me off. I knew he was like, very um tepid in 2002 but i know and obviously the Thugonomics kind of pushed him ahead but um like the raw versus smackdown didn't we really go over that in the first episode why exactly didn't we episode on that
2: you exactly
3: know?
2: man i i'll tell you what i i am probably in the same boat as you are i can be long-winded as hell and i just realized i was like man i'm 18 minutes in i have not even gotten to the, the purpose <laughs> of <laughs> the purpose of this show that's what's that's what's that's why i always though I identified so much with you on your shows because, like, I there are times where I really want to just let's 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 really explore the space with this point and go for it. You know, there are times where after after a while I'm like, yeah, man, I think I'm just I need to land the damn plane. All right, just land the damn plane. But anyway, um, tonight we are doing like I'm so glad you picked this because this leads to so many cool points that like this is stuff I've wondered over the years listening to your show. Tonight we are doing from No Way Out. 2001, it is Triple H versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, the three stages of hell, two out of three falls match. So, Scott, the thing I've always wanted to talk to you about is why are you a Triple H guy? Because I've met, Austin, I'm an Austin guy, I've met other Austin guys, I've met Rock guys, I've met uh, Goldberg guys. You know, everyone's kind of hit that. I have not met a real diehard Triple H fan, so why are you a Triple H guy?
3: Um, First of all, I think he's an awesome wrestler. Uh, you know, and look, every every wrestler has stinkers. I get that, and I'm pretty objective when it comes to, uh, you know, acknowledging whether he. I mean, yes, his match with Scott Scott Steiner at the 2003 Royal Rumble is total garbage, as is the rematch at No Way Out. So I'm not one of those ones who who, you know, smokes the wacky weed and and can think every match is five stars. I'm not one of those. I'm not a Kool Aid drinker, but I love his. I loved DX. Um, and. He really gained an appreciation for me uh, throughout 98 and into 99, particularly when Sean was gone after he lost to your boy at WrestleMania. And and I love Austin, just to let you know. I love Steve. Um, and when he was able to kind of carry DX alone and then the Outlaws came in and X-Pac, um, the company gave him a chance to shine and eventually become kind of the, the top mid-card guy in even with, with The Rock. And another match that I had kicked around in my head with you um, was Rock and uh, Triple H from SummerSlam 98 at the Garden, yeah. which to me, yeah. next to SummerSlam 89, is part one of my favorite shows ever. Yeah. yeah. But I thought, eh, it's a little too early for that. Uh, let, me move, let me push ahead and see. And then when he turned, I'll never forget, I was at my buddy's house, when he turned heel at WrestleMania 15, I went, ah, uh, see, now this is where he's going to hit the gas, and we're going to see what kind of real... Endear, enduring character. This this Triple H, that this this guy is. And right now, one of my chrono watches. Uh, I'm watching WWF Attitude like strictly through. I started with Raw in '93, and I'm up to uh, and, and watching all the TV stuff on the network, including pay per views. And I'm up to September of '99 right now. So I'm watching him as his first reign as champion. Um, doing the best he can. I mean, he works so hard. Like it's obvious stuff doesn't never came easy for him. Um, like Austin, natural charisma, rock, natural charisma. Um, taker is taker. There's nothing to be said about that. Sean, do we have to say anything? Triple H, I feel like worked his tail off to get his characters over. Not saying those other guys didn't, but they had it. It felt more organic for them than it did for triple H. And I think a lot of people give him grief in 99 because it wasn't organic. They forced, they foisted the world title on him. And I don't agree with that at all, but. Um and then 2000 he he hooked me in uh with the Helmsley McGann Helmsley era. I love the t-shirts, the en- and his entrance themes have never sucked. Oh, He's yeah. never had a bad entrance theme. So that always did it for me. And I just like the character. Um as my time as as a Triple H fan has progressed um I used to be very diplomatic about it and I'm sure this is something we'll talk about towards the end of the show too. The more people that hate him the more galvanized I become loving him. Uh, so at this point now I just sit back and let everybody else piss and moan and cry. I just, sometimes I, sometimes I'll even flaunt it. Uh, there was a gag. Um, uh, you know, he has those new, you know, cause this is his 25th anniversary and people are like, ah, oh, there's nothing, you know, I'm talking to people in chats and stuff. Oh, there's nothing on the network I want to watch. Well, there's a great six hour triple H greatest <laughs> match. Like I'm just a total <laughs> jerk about it sometimes. Um, but, uh, uh, to me, it's because he worked so hard to put over any of his characters. Like nothing ever came easy for him to me, whether it's, it's his charisma, his matches, his feuds. I feel like he worked just as hard as anybody else, if not harder sometimes, to put over whatever he needed to put over. And um, I respect that. I respect that. And I get more defensive about it post-marriage – um, that I still think he works his tail off. That guy eats, sleeps, drinks, and lives wrestling. And um, I just respect that immensely. And was he self-serving at times? Probably, but who wasn't? They all are at some point.
2: And that's he, and Scott, And you know, that's and what I what I like about what you said there is because like all this stuff that's been put out over the years on these, these aggregate sites, these, these, the Reddit boards for, and even the the ones that predate Reddit, all these different things, people just took this stuff and ran with it. And it just became like, yeah, he just buries people backstage and that's it. And it's like, does anybody really know what's going on? And I think what was interesting, you touch on the evolution doc, the evolution doc, like it, um, it touches on like a really specific moment where it's like, we have Jindrak. Jindrak wants to be in there. I don't think he's ready. So they, he says, no, we're not going to have him in there. That's a case of him basically burying somebody. But, but he, there's a reason. The guy wasn't ready. The guy wasn't mature enough to do it. So it was a business decision. And that's always the part that cracks me about wrestling, where it's like, well, this guy's not getting pushed. Maybe that guy's an asshole backstage. And he maybe he doesn't. You know, like, if, if I'm at work and I don't come to work on time, I'm probably not going to be looked on favorably, even if like I'm, even if like I'm good at my job. Maybe I'm not the best, but I'm really good. But those little things like do add up, and it's like that's the thing about Triple H. Zach, that was a guy who, from for all intents and purposes, like has been there 100 percent from day one to try and make things better. And yeah, man, like sure, when you're when you're known to be like associated with the boss, like everyone's going to go ahead and assume that you're just the worst. When sometimes, like, you just got to turn it around the the person's like, maybe you should stop being a dick and you would do well, too. You know, like, that just seemed like, I, I, as much as I love a guy like Punk, Punk sometimes just needs to say, yes, I'll do that. And he probably would have done better. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing that cracks me up about somebody like him. But um, I'll tell you, man, I, what all I always, one of the great what ifs is if he didn't, his knee was not hurt after SummerSlam 98. I would have loved to have seen him run with the IC belt. I would have loved to have seen him run into 99 with it as a baby, as a mid card baby face, and see what would happen if he went to WrestleMania. Really, really, either, either challenging in a rematch for that belt or being like a defending champion. That's the one. What if I've always wanted to see with him?
3: I agree, uh, and it's it's a shame because that that late 98 was incredible programming for WWF at the time. And, uh, you know, you had Austin and Vince. That was really when it really kicked in a high gear uh, at breakdown when he lost the belt. And, you know, you don't have it anymore. And he gives Vince gives that right. weird middle yeah. finger while he's <laughs> holding the smoking skull. Um, and, you know, they had that tournament and, and, and Shamrock won and the icy belt kind of sat around for a while. And, and then, you know, it, it was interesting. I'm curious if they still would have done the heel turn. At WrestleMania 15 or if they yeah. would have held if they would have let Triple H roll a little bit longer, maybe turned heel later. I'm pretty sure the plan was always for Triple H to be champion by the end of the summer. Um, for instance, uh, speaking of buried, and I'm pretty sure this is not true. Uh, at SummerSlam 99, when your boy yeah. walked in as champ, yeah, now, it was supposed to be just him and Triple H. And then that one month they had like five number one contenders. China had it mm-hmm. and Mick yeah. came back and everything. There was a whole rumor that that Stone Cold did not want to put Hunter over, and I, in that instance, I can't believe that. What I think happened there was I think because Jesse the Body was the ref, I don't think they wanted Jesse in his home state to count a heel as champion, so they threw Mick in there so he could pin Stone Cold, and you'd have a babyface and the night as champ, without Triple H getting pinned, and then he could piss him on the next night and eventually win the match. He'd win the title on a Raw. Um, the only two guys that I know Stone Cold was not the biggest fans of was Jeff Jarrett. And I think that right. goes back to, um, USWA days in like 99, 80, you know, 89, 90. And, uh, Billy Gunn, I don't think he was a biggest fan of either. Um, but Billy Gunn had a shot that summer and, you know, pretty much rock <laughs> told the world. Yeah. My name's Billy. It doesn't matter what your name is. And pretty much buried <laughs> there. Back to the right. tag division you went. Um, so, uh, yeah I mean every main event guy in some capacity does a little something for himself yeah. yeah uh but some guys get to some guys get away with it and some guys don't and that hypocrisy is just based on whoever is the flavor of the month you know I've said always like my
2: favorite Austin is fall ninety six through really um May of ninety nine and then it seems like after that is when. It starts to that summer. It starts to peter out a little bit. It's it's tough. It's not. It's a tough summer. Obviously, the you know the the ending of his of the McMahon feud number one. It's good. It's a good solid ending. But it is definitely a summer where it seems like he's on the outs physically. The the toll is take. It's it has taken its toll on him. But, Correct. And it's interesting. I've always wanted to know, like, where did that even start that he refused to do the favors? Where did that even come from? You know what I mean? Because that's one of those things, like, you're right. Like, we've talked about that for years, and, and we've just automatically assumed that. And it's the same thing, like, with good case in points. WrestleMania 19, Triple H, and Booker T. Why doesn't Booker T go over? Why is Triple H doing all that blah, blah, blah? It's like, granted, storyline-wise, it made total sense for Booker to win that. Absolutely.
3: Well, from pretty much what it sounds like, the reason they didn't is because of Goldberg. He's debuting uh, the next right. night, and yeah, they want. Won- he was sense. eventually. Yeah. I'm sure he had it in his contract that he was going to get a world heavyweight title run, and you wanted to have Triple H be strong and not lose it for a while. Then, they, then they now then they openly butchered it at that SummerSlam where he where Goldberg should have speared like all five guys, including Triple H, last and and um, won it. But instead, Triple H was injured because he had those terrible bike shorts in that stretch. Yeah, uh, and he wanted he. The problem with Triple H sometimes – I know we'll get to the match eventually, but the, the problem with Triple H <laughs> that, that people get to sometimes is he, he does do the right thing, but sometimes he wants it done what he thinks is the right way to do it. He didn't have a problem putting Goldberg over, but he wanted a one-on-one match where Goldberg can cleanly beat him in a one-on-one match and not have to deal with extra people. Is that the right philosophy? That depends on your point of view, I suppose. And That's right. why they waited till the next month at unforgiven for Goldberg to beat him clean. Was that the right choice? Eh. Hey, you know what? Why is he get away with blowing a choice and no one else is? That's I think that's what always angered me as a Triple H fan that there's not a legitimate reason why everyone else gets the benefit of the doubt on the same types of things he gets vilified for. That's what that's what pisses me off about most Triple H haters. they there a bunch of most of them are a bunch of hypocrites? Right. Who, if somebody they love does the exact same thing Triple H does, they have a viable excuse. But if he does it, he's a politicking scumbag. That's the things you could say he's a crappy wrestler. I don't have a problem with that. Everybody's got their own opinions. I've never been the biggest Rey Mysterio fan. Um, and I crap for that, and whatever, it's fine. Um. But when you tell me the Triple H is a bad bad wrestler because he gets he politics a lot. I'm like, are you are you really for real like the only one that does? And he can do something and he's a complete piece of trash, but say Daniel Bryan politics. Oh, Daniel Bryan, he's untouchable. He's gold. He can right. politic for something and it's clearly the right thing to do because it's Daniel Bryan. But if Triple H does it, oh, he's the devil, and is he's married? Did you know that he's married to the boss's daughter? Like that's the great, that's the one, that's the thing that's always hung on a hook. You know he's married to Stephanie. Oh, you know, crap like that. But, yeah. Uh, look at see, see, see how easy it is to pull the ripcord on me with this. Oh, I know. I know. I know. Well, like the, the the last thing I'll say on it before we get to the build
2: of this is sure. One thing I do respect him a lot though is. He is, when it comes to like WrestleMania, when it's the big match, he is so willing to put, he puts people over all the time. The one exception, I wanted to ask you this, how you felt about it. Did you think he should have gone over on Sting?
3: <laughs> That's a great question. Sadly, you know what it is? Uh, well, I have two answers. Objectively, yes, Sting should have won. Uh, but. Mm, <sighs> I I don't think that was Triple H's choice. I think that was Vince. Vince will always, regardless of who the person is, Vince will always want to let you know who. You talked about it with the documentary. Vince will always want to remind you who won the war. And Sting is. Triple H beating Sting at WrestleMania 31 was another example of who won the war. The stories told by the victors. Um, Should Triple H have put Sting over? Yes. Yes. Was it a good match? Yeah, it
2: wasn't bad. It's, it's entertaining. It's fun. I mean, like, if nothing else, the entrances are awesome. They are so yeah. good that it. You almost, I almost don't care. The, the one thing that we always joke about is he crushes it with a sledgehammer. Well, I'm going to shake your hand afterwards. It's like.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that's that's such a wrestling trope. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, like. like to answer your question. Yeah. yeah. To answer your question. Yeah should have he should have beat him
2: yeah because there there are a lot of times like i i like the moment he gives Benoit 20 he taps out clean that's that's awesome like that's a great that's a great way of giving to another wrestler when he i mean and i i think i agree with you on this one. him tapping out to scene i'm not crazy about it like because i'm not like I, I just everything the way that everything going into that match is like You guys are really going to have Cena go over on how hot, like, go over on an organically shifted babyface in Triple H. You're going to do this. Okay. Best of luck to you. Uh, Having him tap out in Chicago. Great. But again, like, at the same time, like, man, that's a hell of a thing to do is to give that guy that rub by tapping out. You know, in in the WrestleMania main event, like that's that's one thing I just I I, I do. Th- and of course, like the like, one of his best builds, and it's one of the craziest ones is the is, is WrestleMania thirty, and to do that in that opening match, like to have that good of a match, and then put Daniel Bryan over like that is like, I, I mean, like that's why it's it's really hard for me to. Dislike him as much as maybe I would have said when I was younger. It's like that guy's done a lot in terms of not just the stuff behind the scenes with creating with NXT. He's put a lot of guys over in big spots uh, in, in the last like you know ten yeah like the last ten fifteen years you know throughout the 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 manias and stuff like that.
3: So yep, yes, um, he's ten and thirteen. He's ten and thirteen <laughs> in WrestleMania matches. And think of those thirteen losses. He's put over um, everybody and their mother. Uh, from, I mean, three straight years he put over Benoit, Batista, and Cena, And Sands, Benoit, of course, because, you know, he's like right. the Voldemort of wrestling. Look at Batista and Batista. They're like the backbone of the of the uh, Ruthless Aggression era. Yeah. Triple H's job during the Ruthless Aggression era was not only to help get himself over a little bit, but to get himself over so his getting over benefits others getting over. See, see that's the point you know you, you got to go both ways you're not going to put anybody over if you're not worth anything so you got to give yourself you got to make yourself worth something to make the putting over worth something but see when it comes to age no one wants to see past the long game it's always the right. short game which is you know he's married to vince's daughter that's why he gets all this <laughs> yeah, love love that reasoning on chats and boards married to stephanie that's why i guess everything it's awful St- stone St- cold was married to is- anybody
2: Exactly. (laughs) Right. It's an interesting build, though, for this match. I think it's a really interesting one because, obviously, this was not probably where it was intended to go, but they had to to make a choice because something wasn't working. They had to make a move, and it worked out really well because the end result is when we get by, we're getting to this payoff match. Like, it's, you are invested. And so, yeah, this really does begin with uh, and it's funny, the video package like really doesn't like it, it kind of glances over like ninety nine a little bit. It, it tries to get right to the to the return, the car move the the dropping the car in 2000 and then all that. But what did you when it comes to this bill talking about you know late ninety nine, the car he gets Austin gets run over. Uh, and then when he comes back it's Rikishi, then it's, then it's more so the bigger bad is Triple H. Like what do you remember about this bill that was really, really cool for you?
3: Uh, the fact that it made sense and the fact that that it it um in the whole grand scheme of things, everything that happened for Triple H in two thousand made sense. The storyline made sense. He said it on Raw or SmackDown, whichever after he after it was revealed that he was the mastermind and he's the one who, you know, quote unquote paid Rikishi to run him over. Um the fact that He said, who benefited the most from Steve Austin not being here? Me. I'm a multi-time world champion now. I've main evented WrestleMania. I've made a ton of money. You know, I'm feuding with, you know, The Rock, and I benefited. Nobody else. I did. The Rock was already at the top. And it's funny how the red herring in that fall of 2000 was that The Rock was behind it because he also could have benefited from Steve Austin not being around. But to turn the tables and legitimately have Triple H say, well, Rock was already on top. So what does he need to benefit? He can't go any higher. I, however, slipped in and took the spot that Rock had when he took Stone Colds. But he already had a top spot, whereas I needed a top spot. So I took the guy out who had it. It made perfect sense. It was perfect logic. Yeah. And and using Rikishi, who – I don't know if he debuted on TV yet because I know he he wrestled he teams with um with Mabel at Armageddon ninety nine against I don't remember who Um, match is crap Uh, but uh (laughs) but then he turned that then he kind of you know he goes on his own you know he's got this special you know he's got this this different look teams you know hooks up with uh, Too Cool and they have their run and it made perfect sense that the guy Triple H quote paid off to hit Austin with a car is a guy that wasn't even in the company yet. So there was, so that makes that made it even more brilliant by triple H in kayfabe that he, he paid a guy who he knew about coming up the ranks um, to hit Austin. And then he did. And then he debuts and no one's the wiser.
2: The cool part is too you're framing a guy who's related to the rock. So it puts all this suspicion
3: on the rock. Even better. Yep. Yeah. Even better. And it was again, the long game, and Austin comes back in September. And I remember it was very fitting because he, I think he returned on Raw's debut on Spike or TNN, whatever the hell it was at that time. I think it was TNN at that time. Uh, yeah, it was TNN. So he debuts when Raw debuts on the new network. And, you know, who hit me? Who hit me? Who hit me? Turns out it was Rikishi. They wrestle at No Mercy. And then finally it comes true that yeah triple h the guy who benefited the most from the guy from the company's guy to not be around was him the best part about it was it's it was not something stupid or made like it wasn't russified i think the best thing too and i think what we we should not ignore this is that this was all chris kresky who was a god rest his soul who was a friggin' genius he picked up russo's TNA nonsense, kind of molded it, cleaned it up, and that's why 2000 is probably one of the best years in company history, and would lead to 2001 being so great.
2: That's what's cool. It's like with the Attitude Era really is two two little eras within one. That 98 99 is one, and then 2000 alone is a completely separate thing. And that's what's neat about 01 is it's the collision of those eras in a way, because the big thing missing from 2000 is Austin. So what happens when he comes in? And that's what's so fascinating watching this match, because the thing I kept thinking about was when Austin comes back, what's interesting is everybody's been, everyone has been brought up to his level. Whereas you go back to 98, 99, like it's really not close for a while. Like there's nobody even close to his level in terms of popularity and just character. But by this point now, like there've been so many offshoots of that type of, Rebellious character that have come out, most notably, of course, The Rock and Triple H, who have like those very Austin s qualities that they knew worked. But that's what's interesting is they made their own thing of it, and that's why they're great. But that's what's fascinating is by the time we get to No Way Out, one one, we're at a point now where it's that collision, and now it's like, okay, how is all this going to gel together? Because there's an argument that like Austin, in a way, as much as I like him. He has to really change it up to fit in this new era because it, it definitely is a case where the classic Austin that got over so big doesn't necessarily automatically come in and, and absorb that number one spot again. I think he... And that's why, like, it, his O one one is awesome. And in, in terms of what he puts out, um, I think I think he's got at least, what, like four, arguably... If he has, like, four match-of-the-year candidates. It's no joke. It's no... Re- I mean, it's... I, I, I mean, there's... It doesn't seem to be uh, much a surprise that he's the wrestler of the year. I mean, between this match, 17, the tag match with, with Triple H against Benoit Jericho, and then the angle match at SummerSlam, I thought it was interesting the way he had to adapt in 2001 because everybody, because of the work in 2000, had come to such a high level. where it was like, yeah, man, you're going to have to do a little bit more than drive the Zambonian now. You're going to have to change it up a little bit. Did he have to go as far as to become a heel? Questionable. We'll see. I mean, obviously, the it, it didn't work for most fans, but I thought that was something that was very interesting. I do think, like, when I, one thing I wanted to check, by the time we're here in February of, of 01, what I was curious about was, where does everybody stack up in terms of world title reigns? Now, from 98 through 01, Austin's got four. Rock has six. Triple H actually has, from 99 to 01, he has four title reigns, four WWE title reigns. So it's like they're they really close, and then even looking at the year two thousand, in pay per views Triple H is eight five and one. I mean the one being the the Austin match because there's just there's no real finish to it, and then The Rock is eight and six. So they are, really are neck and neck in two thousand. So that's what that's what really makes this match interesting because it's like this triangle of guys. It's like who really is gonna come out of this? So I I do think this is it's it's a real fascinating period when you just get beyond just looking at it just purely television television like looking at it from that that faraway view like wow there really was a lot at stake at this period to figure out who really was going to be who was going to be main eventing and that's why I just it, I love the competition that we'll see in this match but the other thing I wanted to ask you about is we've talked about your personal connection like how much you like Triple H. Spe- did you see this show like cause what I love is that you guys went to all the you've been to so many shows, raws, pay-per-views. I think that's awesome. Did you go to this
3: pay-per-view by chance? At the time. No, this this show No, this show was in Vegas. Uh no, I did not go to the show. I did go however to No Way Out the year before. No Way Out 2000. I'm from I oh. live, as you obviously probably know, I live in Connecticut. Yeah. So, um No Way Out 2000 was in Hartford and I was at that show. That was the that was the uh him and foley in the hell in a cell i've been to two hell in a cells actually um and uh the other thing but no i was not live at this. show i wish i was because this is probably um probably still to this day the greatest secondary pay-per-view of all time because top to bottom this this show is ridiculous yeah Yeah. oh yeah uh, if if i may piggyback your comment about stone cold um let's also take into account and and i'm as i'm watching like WWF programming in 1999 right now. The roster in 99 overall is really not that great. Um, the yeah. main event talent's good, but takers a cripple, And, I mean, you've got mid-cards, Mark Henry, D'Lo, solid guys, but, you know, Jarrett, but, I mean, like, the tags are... In. Um, fast forward to 2001, the roster in 01 is the best in the history of the company. Maybe, maybe... 89 90 come a little close maybe 89 comes a little close but the roster in 2001 is ridiculous because you've got like this is the first time that rock taker triple h and and stone cold are all healthy at the same time and all main eventers at the same time but then you've got the mid card which is benoit and kurt angle and you know and test and eddie and you have all i mean it's it's the mid-card is amazing right now. And then the tag division, which pack, which goes back from 2000, is outrageous. So the other thing that Stone Cold has to struggle with is his the, – the attitude era – the Vince Russo shenanigans of 98-99 are not going to fly when you've got a roster full of legit wrestling talent. Completely different than the TNA – um, and the, the the goofing off of 98-99 where the mid-card was, eh. but in one when you've got legit workers and Jericho, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention Jericho. How do I not, how do He was the first shot. Well, Big Show, I guess, was the first shot, but so great point about Austin realizing that when he came back, this roster looks very different than it did when he left over a year earlier.
2: Where did you did you see this? Uh, like, did 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 you watch this on pay per view? When did you for or how did you first see No Way Out? Oh, one. No, well, okay.
3: yeah. yeah. no, I watched live. Yeah, no, I watched. I was on a roll. I know I watched everything live. Oh no, I, I always I went over to my buddy's house. My buddy Mike, who's sadly recently passed away, but he um uh, he used to host the pay per views every Sunday. So we all got together, and I was the only Triple H guy. He liked Triple H too. Um, as a matter of fact, on a side note, he owned a comic book store, and I worked. I was I worked part time there for a while. So on Wednesdays, which is Comic Day, that was the one day he would come in and uh, and spend the day because the new comics came in. And when we – when he would open the door, I had the uh, Triple H's 2000 theme, the My Time <laughs> theme play right time. when we walked through the door. It's kind of like our alarm. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, we, were so, we were so funny like that. But um, but yeah, your Stone Cold point is perfect because the roster, the culture of the company was different between when he left in November 99 and when he came back in – Mid to late two thousand, and really got cooking in two thousand one. The roster looks different, so the so the and the the creative philosophy was different. So your point about Stone Cold having a change is right on point. I think.
2: And it, and I and I remember at the time. Like I remember when this pay per view was coming around. I was just like assume like, oh yeah, man, Austin's gonna steamroll this because he's already won the Rumble. Great Rumble, fantastic Rumble. And you're like, oh yeah, man, this is this is setting mean, up. He's gonna just walk over this, and you're just, cause you know, winning the rumble. All you're thinking about now is mania, and it's like you're, you're there's not all. it Typically, there's, it's a it's weird the focus that's in between there. And of course, I would only it would only change over time and get better and better to where like you really care about that whole stretch. That whole stretch is so important, and it's the it's obviously where people will jump in and out of the net. That's where they jump on the network for a bit, and then they'll obviously dip off and stuff like that. But um, I will say, like, the one thing I love about getting to this match is it finally gets him kind of out of the Stephanie, Vince, Trish stuff. For, like, because that's that's the thing that is weird about him in 2000 by the time it gets to the tail end, is, like, where he just kind of gets sucked into all that. And to his credit, like, I mean, like, he, he... he does the best he can with with what he does. That match with Angle, it's a circus of a match at Royal Rumble, just with all the shenanigans going on outside the ring and everything. I still a, still love watching Triple H and Angle work. I was just so glad though that by by having this match, it just gets him away from that. You know, because that just seemed to I don't want to say it dragged him down, but it's it's definitely seemed like it kept him out of where he where he needed to be. Now, granted, like. I, I, you know, in 2000, like, you know, that stretch of rock Triple H matches after a bit was like, all right, man, we need to let, let's shift this around a little bit. Because what's, what's funny, funny is, like, you look at it back. you are like, they, they only really, really wrestled, wrestled, like, like, like was, was, it was it three pay-per-views? Was, was it three, three pay-per-views in, in a row? row counting, counting WrestleMania 2000? Four. They did four. okay. So they had
3: the four-way at WrestleMania 16. They had the match at Backlash when Austin came back for that one shot with the chair. They right. had the Iron Man at Judgment Day. Right. Uh, which is a great match, by the way, if no one's ever yeah. seen it. It's it's like an attitude era version of Brett and Sean, so it's much less dull <laughs> than the Iron Man at <laughs> Twelve, which I think is not right. I think time is not on a side note, time has not done that match any favors. The Brett Sean Iron Man from twelve. I agree. Yeah. Um and then the and then that goofy tag at uh at King of the Ring where oh, uh, yes. Vince gets pinned by Rock and Triple H just lose the belt because of it. That that was stupid. But that was the stretch where King of the Rings were not getting great cards. But uh, yeah, oh. so if you count, yeah. So four straight pay-per-views. Then they took some time off. Rock wrestled Benoit at fully loaded. Triple H wrestled Jericho. Then they had the three-way at SummerSlam. So that's the fifth pay-per-view of 2000 they were in. They did the yeah. three-way when Kirk yeah. got the concussion. Then, are they in that? No. Uh, they're not together at Unforgiven. Are they? No. Um, Triple H wrestles. Kurt? Yeah. Triple H wrestles Kurt. Yeah. Because that's the, yeah. Rocks. Yeah. Rocks in the four-way with what is it? Taker, Kane, and Benoit. So, five yeah. pay-per-views between April and August that Triple H and Rock are together. The five out of six.
2: So, all right. So, my last question with this is all right. Going into this match, you're, 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 you are a Triple H guy. You want him to win. Did you think he would win this match? No, I didn't. That's what I think makes this a, a sneaky, interesting match. Even though, like, and we'll talk about after the match about the, about the finish and everything, because I, I definitely had an opinion about it. At a, at a certain time in my life, I've tried to you know think about it as logically as I can now. But I, I, that's what I think is the most fascinating thing. It's like they really they really catch people off guard with this finish. I think I think that's what's really cool.
3: No, I agree. Right. I, I, I I I thought I thought oh, Stone Cold was going to win hands down. I had money on the on the match actually. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I smiled even more. But you no, know, I, I no seriously, I no, I no, I did not think he was going to win. But.
2: Before we get into the match, we're gonna take a quick break here from our sponsor Anchor, and then we're gonna dive into this two out of three falls match.
0: Hey, it is the franchise Shane Douglas, and you're listening to the New World Rising. <laughs> yeah.
2: All right, so we're back. It's time now to do it. We're gonna get into the match. It took us an hour, Scott, but we are there to do do the match. <laughs> That's, That's now. I, now it, it's. I joke about, the, I you know, I would joke about the guys. I was like, because I I try to I'm dork me trying to get into like, wow, well, looking at the analytics of the shows, guys. I'm seeing when people are jumping off here, they're kind of fast forwarding it. And we need to kind of tighten up those openings. And it's like, yeah, man, they're they're just sometimes though, where it just kind of you, you 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 just go with you go with the flow of things, you know. It's just it's just the way it goes sometimes, you know. Yes, it does. Yep. But all right, so the match. Walk us through this. So like. Fall one is supposed to be the wrestling match. Fall two is the hardcore or the street fight match, and then finally, we're to, if necessary, which has always made me laugh. If necessary, the third fall, if we need to go to it, it's going to be in a cage. Where, you know, it just I'd say is it nine and a half out of ten times in a two out of three falls match, a third yeah, fall know, is always right? necessary. Yeah. yeah,
3: exactly, exactly.
0: So,
2: Scott, walk us through this match from your perspective, going through each of these falls.
3: Well, the best part, the best part, even more than uh, the finish, is that the falls didn't go the way you expected either. No one expected Stone Cold to win the first fall as pure wrestling match. Everyone thought Triple H was going to win that one. Stone Cold was going to win the street fight, and then the, the the cage at that point was a was a heads or tails. But watching the first fall, um, you know, Stone Cold's uh, were, the I think the best part about this, besides the violence, which I'll get more into in the third fall, these two guys knew psychology, and I. I think it's. I think it's safe to say that. I think in today's wrestling, psychology gets lost. You you work on a on a on a on a on a body part and then forget about it like six minutes later. Not, not in this match and and many matches from guys earlier in that in that era Steve Austin's working on Triple H's arm why so he can't hook the arms for the pedigree so work on his arm so he can't he can't hook the you know perform the maneuver yeah. and um Triple H obviously targets Stone Cold's leg cuz Stone Cold has you know two knee braces so that's what every opponent does um, and the back and forth is—I mean, it's a—it's a perfectly great chain wrestling match. It really is. Um, I'm trying to see how long that no, it doesn't say. I, I was—I have Wiki in front of me only because I want to see if they broke the falls down by by time, but they don't. They just have the overall time. Um, the back and forth in that match again shows two things. Number one, that we know Triple H when he was healthy in that stretch, which he was at that time, is a stud. Uh, he's a much better wrestler than anybody gives him credit for. Um, his matches would go up and down after that, mostly because of injury and other medicinal things. Um, but this was a, just as big a match for your boy uh, Stone Cold as it was for Triple H, because you know Austin came back, obviously, you know a little, probably a little tentative with his neck, and the matches that he had in 2000 were mm, like the match these two had at Survivor Series is it's okay, it's not great, it's okay. But you could tell that 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 Austin had not put the foot on the gas yet. I think he was still trying to see if he could still be the Stone Cold he was in '98, '99, even after the the neck injury to to from Owens. So.
2: It's very reminiscent. It's it's very it, it compares beautifully to when he comes back in um, Survivor Series '97 and then the Degeneration X pay per view in '97. Like those are two matches where it's like not really going to do a lot. I'm just gonna we're just gonna do a lot of just brawling on the outside, and that's really about it. Like not a lot of not a lot of moves, and I think it's to your point, same thing when he comes back again, it's that same sort of thing where it's like, it's going to be a lot of kick-punch brawl, and and that's just where he's going to work until he gets, he gets a little more, a little more put at ease about what he can do and what he can't, because you can tell early on, even in this match, like he, in that first fall, like, it's rough, there are some rough spots where like, it's like, man, that Fez pres, that was supposed to happen, that didn't, but they come back and just do it again, and they do a couple, I think they do it a couple times or whatnot. There are a couple spots early in this thing where it's like, it, and I wondered, it, I always wondered if it was like, is it ring rust a little bit going this type of match form? Is it a case, I've always been fascinated by this, who's calling the match? And is that sometimes one of those things that guys grapple with? Especially when they're two real alpha guys, you know, like mm-hmm. in the beginning like, you know, when you're, you're trying to figure it out. That's why like, I kind of enjoy how rough and and and, and kind of sloppy it is in the beginning here because I think it kind of fits because this is just such an it, it's just there's so much just in, in the, for the characters so much hatred so much of a personal grudge here so that was just something I was picking up in that first
3: fall a lot. Uh, tremendous point. And um, again, for for Stone Cold to win that fall with a stunner was uh took me by surprise because again, conventional wisdom would tell you. That Triple H would win the in-ring fall and Stone Cold would win the next fall, which would be the street fight. But that didn't happen. And great booking, great booking by uh, whoever was working on that at the time. I don't know, was Kraske still around? I'm not sure. I don't know if he was getting sick by then. Um, yeah, it's just I, I just can't get over how everybody was fighting. To see who could be the best in-ring guy in that company at that time, and, and again, I mentioned earlier about all of those guys in the mid-card—the Jerichos, the Benwa's, the Kurtz, the um, uh, Eddie—and you know, uh, sadly, Eddie would have to go because he would have his own personal issues. But he would come back right, right. in O2, you know, firing up like crazy. Um, so I think the competition within WWE or WWF—I'm very, I'm very OCD about that. I know. I- <laughs> uh, Pre-Judgment Day 02, it's F. Post-Judgment Day 02, it's E. That's always been my philosophy. So the roster in the WWF at that time was just totally loaded with studs. Uh, you know, you got Edging Christian, Dudley's Hardy, so you got the tag divisions perfectly fine. You got good, solid power guys like Test, and I had no problem with Test at that stretch. It would be later on in the decade when he become a lumbering mess. Um, you know, and again... The, those big four guys: Jericho, Benoit, Eddie, and Kurt. I mean, they're they're just they're beasts. And then you've got Triple H, Rock, and Stone Cold. Taker to a certain extent, but Taker wasn't totally at the upper, at the mid at the at the main event at this time. One thing about Taker, you could bounce him around everywhere, and he just makes it better. But you've got it's kind of reminiscent of the end of '96 when you've got Sean, Sid, Brett, Taker, and Vader. Jockeying for main event spots at the end of '96, all bona fide main event stars, but there's only room for a couple of main event slots, you know. Right. And yeah. that's exactly how the competition was within WWE to who's the best. This match proves that. And then the main event of this show, of this show, the Kurt Rock World Title Match, same thing. But this first, this first fall for me, a. Great booking to have Austin win the first fall. That is not what would be his cup of tea, the regular straight wrestling match. But the fact that the the roster, it was an example of just everybody wanted to be the best. They wanted to be number one. And that competition is why the company at this moment in time was untouchable. You know.
2: The, the thing I was waiting for in the second fall was – because, Inev- As much as Ric Flair gets crap for going to the top rope and always like being thrown off until his last match and against Sean, the thing that always made me laugh is there was a stretch where Steve Austin would attempt a pile driver on the outside of the ring, and every single time, the guy would just but he'd get backdrop. He doesn't do it here. And of course, I mean, I mean, obvious reasons. I mean, he's probably not one to go do something like that with the neck and everything. But it made me laugh. I was like, of all the times, like, this would be a match where I could totally buy it happening, is when these guys go to the outside. And I love that they he, they immediately go to the outside, too. Right when that, that's that second... Uh, fall begins. I think that's always a great touch. How do you, what do you think about the violence level in this second one? Do you think, because like, obviously a year ago is what, like, those the combination of those two matches really elevates Triple H, the the, the Cactus Jack matches and a Royal Rumble and No Way Out. How do you think this in this second fall, the level of violence compares to those? Do you think it's, it's on that level? Do you think it serves? Do you think there could have been more? What do you think comes out of this second fall? The
3: violence is is, is, uh, Mach 10 Um, at this point with that first fall out of the way, I think that the two of them looked at each other and said, all right, now it's time to take it to the level that we know we could take it at. And the next, and I say this all the time, the next probably that first fall was probably like 11 minutes. And I think the match is like 36. So the next like 25 minutes, but specifically this fall is just pure, clean violence. Now it's about taking you out. It's not just about pinning you. It's about finishing you and all of the frustration of, and, and I'm pretty sure J.R. and King mentioned this uh, during the commentary that Stone Cold has all this pent up rage from being knocked out of almost all of 2000 because of this guy who came up with this master scheme to get rid of you so he can have your spot uh, that you had to be the alpha dog. And that is, Thinking and remembering of this feud that has been building since November of – actually, realistically, since September of – actually, since August of 99. Because if you remember, after Foley won the belt at SummerSlam, uh, Triple H beat the crap out of him with a chair. Yeah. So this, this war, dude, goes back to August of 99. Yeah. And now we're culminating with just Austin just done with this guy. I'm going to WrestleMania, man. That title shot's mine. I won the rumble in New Orleans. Ain't nobody taking that away from me. Most importantly, you. And it's just pure clean hate. It's delicious. And yeah. That's what, that's what makes a match that good.
2: I loved I what was such a nice callback. Because of course you're going to get the sledgehammer. That's going to happen. But what was the cool callback for me was when he has the barbed wire bat. I was like, what a brilliant callback to a year ago, and to 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 that series of matches that. That elevated him. This is where he really takes it to the next level, and it's like, yeah. And that's not look we're, that that's been said by plenty before. That's not some new point I'm introducing there. That's been said like that. You know th- that series of matches is what catapulted him. I thought it was so cool that he has that bat. It's, of course, it's not the same exact one, but you know what I mean. Just so the, sim- the symbolically having that here, it's like, oh yeah, what a great
3: touch. Absolutely, and. um it's the, it's the symbols. I mean, Austin, I mean, triple H is the sledgehammer. The sledgehammer is him. They go hand in hand. Austin is just whatever's in front of him. Um, but the, it's just to me, what makes it so, um, gratifying as a fan of someone who loves good violent matches for somebody who was watching, not just WWF in the eighties when I was a kid, but, but Crockett and NWA where blood flowed freely. Um, and that's the one thing I always love about Triple H. He's a, he's a purist. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a history junkie. So he will harken back to a Dusty Flair war and use that – not that Steve Stone Cold wouldn't, but uh, – and to use that to amp up this war. But these two just bloodied each other. Like this second fall is probably – I think it's the longest I think it's like seven, oh, yeah. I think it's like 11 minutes or maybe 12 or 13 minutes. And it's just non-stop violence. And for a feud that's been brewing for almost 18 months, it had to be that violent. It had to be. And that that second fall just real just makes you realize, holy shit, uh we're onto something here.
2: That I also love that we get the um, the foreshadowing the 17 with he does almost the exact same chair assault to Triple H that he'll do to the Rock at Mania with the chair. it's om- it's almost like beat for beat. Yep. The same one that's really that's really cool because so, this one thing I tried to like like really I tried to really go in on this match this time to think about it, was like what were they trying to do in some of it with especially what they do in the second fall here. Were they try like were they trying to reach as far as where they were like at WrestleMania 13 where Brett helps make get Austin over as this baby face while slowly turning himself a heel? Was it were they almost trying to do that here with the cause what's great is the level of punishment Triple H takes is probably like I, I don't know it's hard for me to say if he takes more punishment here versus against Cactus because Cactus just throws everything at him. It's, but I also wondered like, were people starting to be like, oh man, this? He took it against Cactus. That's one thing because that's quote unquote Mick at the end of his career, whatever. But you have Austin here, and he's taking everything this guy has. I almost wonder if they were like, maybe, maybe he'll start to get over a little bit more as a baby. I just was thinking about that this time because that's what happens so many times: is these big time heels like they get the respect of the crowd. Based on the level of punishment they take. And they're still able to keep coming back. Now I love how he, he at the same time he works against it by at least three times trying to leave the match. Which is always a great heel move. It's so good. Especially in the cage. Especially Because JR rightfully so. I, was like, I, I don't think you can win this, this type of cage match this way. So those are just some things I was thinking about again in that second fall. Was like what were some of the things they were trying. What, were there some things they were trying to do here. Maybe, maybe not subtly. I don't know. Like that, that that was just what I was, I was trying to think about this time was it was there maybe an outside hope. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but let's see if it happens here.
3: I don't know. Um, I don't know if they were going that far with a switch. Um, I think, I think it was pretty safe to say that triple H was still the heel here. And I, I think stone cold, um, was in his spot, uh, because obviously they didn't want to totally tip their hand on what their plan was a month and a half later in Houston. Um, but I think that Austin needed to prove that he was back to being the Stone Cold. Everybody remembered and knew him to be. And at the same time, uh, Triple H was still the king, The game. I mean, the King of Kings part didn't come for a while. but uh, And when they lowered the cage, I realized, my God, we're reaching uh, – I mean, we've already gotten enough 20-something minutes of just pure hated violence. And now when the – and I, uh, uh, Steel Cage slash Hell in a Cell is my favorite gimmick match of all time. So the minute the cage lowered, I'm like, all right, now I'm about to have some fun here um but the vi- viciousness of Austin maybe triple h maybe creatively i never thought about this you're opening my eyes to totally new things that i never thought i'd even think of in this match um maybe austin's a uh, uh, a switch flipped here cr- uh, creatively That my God, I I do have to amp it up because if I want this belt back, I mean, this guy's beating the snot out of me and I'm going to face the world champion at WrestleMania. And I think it was pretty safe to say that Rock was winning that night to finish the show that that he's got to turn the corner and, and be a different Stone Cold than he was before. And that's where we get what happened April 1st in Houston. But Here. Perhaps Stone Cold realized that oh my God I'm I've got to be a different Stone Cold than I was before, um, and he ended up doing that. So and I think Triple H helped push him to that point.
2: That is something fascinating because when you look at after, because I remember trying like being an awesome guy coming to grips with the heel turn like it, it was hard because you're like I I just don't want this. But what's really neat is going back and really looking at. There were so many, it's actually good storytelling. Now, him joining McMahon, that you you could be, I wish he could have been a heel without joining him. That would have been cool. Obviously, it really is, it's a shot, it's it's definitely a shot to try and get somebody over as a heel by joining Vince, especially him. But what's neat is, it's a lot like what you're saying here, like, um, you know, he has the match against Kurt. He's about to win the belt. Triple H takes it from him. He's going into the Rumble. What happens? Triple H ambushes him. And it's sort of like... It's going back to that thinking of things I have to change. I have to change in 01. Now, obviously, we're talking about that was like uh, more so out of character. But even in characters, like, he has a step up to a level. Because now it's like there are guys that are more vicious than even I was back when I was on top. And that's why, like even as vicious as he is in this match, the look on his face and his really, really good psychology up at the ramp, after he's he's gotten his heat back a little bit, he's given Triple H the stunner, he's walked back up the ramp, that look he gives, it, it, after he's turned heel, you can go back and be like, oh man, they were really telling us all along this was going to happen. Just based on these little, little things here. And that's why I just kept wondering, I was like, I wonder, I wonder what it would have been like if the crowd had like... Because the... The thing about that finish, too, the, and that, that finish always blew my mind, like, the the double hit and just Triple H just happens to be the guy who lands on top of him. Right. It's interesting because it's, it's supposed to show you on a visual level, like, literally how, how neck and neck these guys are. Like, it's really not going to be your classic, either your, your classic clean finish, and it's definitely not going to be your... Um, your kind of schmozzy finish with some shenanigans going on. It's this weird kind of in-between that you really don't get very often. But I just wondered, with them choosing to go that route, if there was maybe an outside attempt to be like, let's see how the crowd reacts to Triple H if he wins this way. He's not winning with some cheap shot. He's not winning with somebody coming out and winning the match for him. He legit wins this match. And I think that's something that's really, really interesting. And And then it really dawned on me watching here. It's like... Steve Austin didn't need to win this match. Triple H needed to win this because he lost at the Rumble. If he loses here, what heat does he have going against Taker at Mania? He has nothing. That it, it made so much sense for him to win here that I wish I could have convinced myself back at, uh, when I was younger that this was the right call. Because if he's gonna, he can't come out and cut the promo that he's done everything when he hasn't. He didn't beat Stone Cold, so it doesn't have any heat to wrestle for him to wrestle the undertaker so that's why like i i I had to i really watched that finish i went back and rewound it a couple times because it's such a cool finish how how many times have you seen this type of finish in a wrestling match
3: one hand probably i feel like this is a crockett finish like i feel it's a finish you would see in wcw or even in the old school nwa yes good call yeah but not not in the wwf or wwe either era not a ton. Maybe Cena want to match this way, maybe.
1: Yeah. But
3: no, you're, you you hit the nail right in the head that I don't think we've seen this finish too, too much. It's a good way to book it. I didn't have yeah. an issue with it. Well, I didn't have an issue with it because my guy won. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but, but even if Stone Cold had won, I wouldn't have had an issue with the finish. Because I, I think that's th- the kind of finish. I think it needed to be a neck-and-neck neck thing without a... Because you couldn't really have any shenanigans because it was a cage match so the dq part of it's already out of the window but right. for triple h to still have it on his own yeah, yeah. uh it's big for him i agree with you 100 on that
2: it's i never thought that i could say triple h and bret hart have something in common because obviously the, with the way brett talks about triple h to this day but it's funny that stone cold never beats them in a pay-per-view match never beats them and i think that's really interesting and of course like i mean th- what would happen with injuries for both Austin and Triple H would probably uh, you know, throw out some some really interesting future possibilities that we would get. But man oh man, that would um that's something I always thought was really interesting that like that's just one guy Austin never got over in pay per views.
3: I know. Except for um 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 buried yes. alive in your house okay. buried alive. But they but they were mid carders. That that match really That's count.
2: true. So you know yeah, yeah, but you're right, you know, so, you know what though? Well, that yeah. that
3: match doesn't count because yeah. they, I mean they were low mid cards and they were curtain jerking. So <laughs> that's a show that Shawn Michaels isn't even on. So you know, um, but both at their both at the same level. No, Triple H has never gotten Stone Steve Austin has never gotten the upper hand. No, not 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 when they're at the same level. At ninety six, uh, yeah. even though even though uh, Triple H won a singles title before. In fact, that next night is when Triple H wins his first Intercontinental title. He beats Mark Marrow the next night. Um, Even Stone Cold there is maybe a notch above because he'd already been doing the sniping with and I think the match at Survivor Series, I think, had already been announced. Maybe the next night it was. Other than that, every match between the two of them since that point, where they're on the same level, Stone Cold's never gotten the upper hand on him. It's a great point. Never did.
2: Yeah, I mean the the possibilities of how they could have what they could have done with this. Like after, I I mean it was it was an awesome second swerve on the the night after uh, after the night after seventeen, where I mean because what's so great is the Triple H loses the match to Taker, but when you see him walking backstage at night on Raw, you're like everyone's pumped up to see him because it's like Austin's a heel now, so. Now we have to cheer Triple H. I thought that was so cool that, like... I agree. They didn't have to do anything, and they're already cheering for him. And it just... And um, not that there... I mean, the two-man power trip, man, I, again, just wish there could have been more of it because it would have been interesting to see how it could have evolved, especially especially how it would interact with the invasion. That would have been really fascinating. I agree 100%. Yeah, that's another... That's probably the other what-if of Triple H's career I'd love to see. It's just what would happen with him in the invasion... Like I, I would hope, I would hope he wouldn't just. The, the, I mean, the the easy thing to say, well, well, you just have Triple H join the alliance, right? Because Stephanie's there. It's like maybe not. Can we try something else? Like, can we do something else with him? Because it seems like uh, I, contrary to what a lot of people say, like the crowd wants to cheer him more than you all think. They, re- I mean, because, uh, like you guys said it. You guys said it on your pod when you guys were covering the in uh, 2000 him against Kurt. And when other guys messing with your wife, they're gonna cheer the guy whose wife's being messed with, and that's what happened. Just the fact that Kurt Angle is 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 even having these conversations with Stephanie, it made people root for Triple H more, and I thought that was that was just so cool, and it was just it and it, it was just so interesting how they had to no 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 we can't have this we got to pivot him back hard heel big time heel can't have this happen.
3: No, and uh that was disappointing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Scott, what's the legacy of this match for you? Cause like you said earlier, you're talking about, you know, you, you look at the Triple H Batista match. I know we had you talked about the Vengeance one being another contender for this. In terms of the legacy, this is a perfect 10 for you, like how has it hold up for you throughout the years of all the the triple H matches, the non triple H matches you've seen? How has this held up?
3: Um Maybe f- from a violence perspective, it holds up a little bit because WWE obviously is so different now. Um, you get a trickle of blood and we're going to commercial. Now That match now, forget it. <laughs> I wouldn't even have come close. Um, the legacy of that match is that, to me, just like the match between Kurt and Rock to end the show, that match for me uh, validated Triple H as a... As a as a player, as everyone kind of gave him crap in 2000. Well, I shouldn't say that. I I shouldn't, I, I don't want to make up some kind of tension, but after having a great 2000 with the rock, everyone expected Austin to beat triple H here and officially end the feud. And guess what? He didn't triple H won the epilogue. He won the war. And I think that stands the test of time as the validation that Triple H uh, got as a bona fide stud in this business and in that company. He just – he beat Rock multiple times in 2000 and in multiple matches since he returned, Steve Austin can't beat him. Pretty impressive. Yeah. And I think that – uh, is a mark that Triple H now that is as we're celebrating 25 years of him in the company. That stands the test of time for me. So yeah, it does. Watching it again recently, I'm like, wow, this 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 match validated. And to reward Triple H for it by having him and Austin together, and I I legitimately smile every time I think of the two man power trip. I legitimately smile because that stretch from that night until the night after judgment day when when he pops the quad and and then that chapter ends i think was the reward for for triple h um achieving that level of success and now it's like all right well austin's our top heel right now he's the guy time for you two to make a run at the top and then backlash show one i just i was just on cloud nine seeing all of them he who what what was the the catchphrase? He who um, he who holds the gold has the power. He who has the power has the gold, or whatever, whatever that whatever yeah. the catchline was at Backlash One. And damn, that was good to see all the, the the two of them at the time. My one and two favorite guys holding all the gold made me smile because I think for Triple H it was like, all right, I, I'm validated. You know, I was here in 2000, I was at the top, but Austin wasn't here. Austin's back, and everyone thinks, I'm just going to get kicked to the curb, and that didn't happen. Right. And I think that's the lasting legacy of that match. Ever stone cold, here's a guy that went through two major injuries. One uh, severe, the one from, you know, at SummerSlam 97. And then here, the the lingering effects of the injury made him have to leave for over a year. And who knew how he was gonna and I remember very vividly, well, when he when he uh came out at Backlash 2000 to help rock, he looked a little little oh. paunchy, a little, a little bit of a beard cut going there. Yeah. And and he was, you know, he was slow to get in the ring and he had to have the chair. I learned you know how you said you you look at the little things? Yeah. When he had to be help when he had to help himself up with the chair. Do you remember that?
2: Oh yeah, that's a good point. And I I thinking, do, I said, I, wow, yeah.
3: he is he is still very tender. Yeah. And so here he is now putting the foot on the gas. And by February, you know, and he, he was obviously back to being pushed to the moon. He wins the Royal Rumble. He's going to Houston to wrestle somebody, most likely The Rock. And we were right. But this match with Triple H, who had been on fire pretty much since the beginning of two, for over a year, pretty much since 2000 when he fought Mick at the Garden. So you've got Austin, who's trying to get his feet back under him and Triple H who's on fire for the whole company and Triple H is the one that comes out smelling like the rose without Austin having to lose anything how often can that happen not much
2: it doesn't, you know, like that's that's just that is such a tricky needle to thread that, like, it it just doesn't happen, like it. And I just, I often wonder if they have the confidence to be able to do that today, I the confidence in the wrestlers to be able to pull that off, and then the confidence just within their own product to be like, will the crowd buy it? Every once in a while, they roll the dice and go with it, they go for it, but not like they did back in 01 with this type of match, because this is. This is such a tricky thing. I just you, you can't do it with any two guys today. It's like you can't just we're not we can't do it. Okay, like we can't do with Finn Balor and uh, the Fiend. That's not gonna happen. It's just not. People are gonna react the same way because they just don't value those two guys like they valued Austin and Triple H at this time. But what I, here's some I because again, like I, I I know it's weird. It's like oh, we're just I'm just asking all these Triple H questions. Well, we are doing a Triple H match, but these are questions I think are fascinating. The last thing I really wanted to ask you is, what is the ape for you, what is Apex Triple H and what is like kind of the worst Triple H for you throughout his entire career? What's the highest and what's the lowest for him? Um
3: on a side note, well, I just fired up the network and right our guys are right next to each other. There's the 25 years of Triple H, the game-changing matches, and then there's the Best of WWE, Stone Cold's Hell Raising Moments. So look at that. Our guys are showing the spotlight even now. <laughs> That's uh, funny. Uh, peak Triple H. Uh, right where we're uh, probably 99 to. I would say October 99 to March 01. Or April 01. May 01 when he when he pops a quad. This stretch we're talking about here. Lowest. Probably January 03 to uh, I would say hmm, January 03 to August of o four. Okay. Um through even though I love evolution and the gimmick of evolution was great, Triple H's matches in 03 are now in his defense, because this is what I do as a Triple H fan, I've got to spin it. The, his <laughs> opponents in 03 are the are the drizzling shits. Yeah. Uh, you've got two matches with Scott Steiner. Yeah. Uh, the match with I mean the match with Booker at WrestleMania is not bad. The ending, again, all yeah. depends on your perspective. Two matches with with Kevin Nash, although I will contend I don't know the last time you've watched it the Hell in a Cell match at Bad Blood 03 is not as crappy as people think it is. I just want to make that point clear. Um, the matches with Goldberg are hmm, um, probably, I mean the match at WrestleMania 20 and Backlash, the back-to-back triple threats with Sean and Benoit are good. The opponents don't hurt. I think after we get out of when Orton turns face and we get out of the Orton thing at the at the um, mid to late end of 04 as we get into the feud with Batista, that's when mm-hmm. I think he turns back to being a stud again. But the matches for that year and a half, as much as I love Evolution, and the gimmick Evolution is tremendous, the matches are average. I think the best match in that stretch is probably the raw match that he had with Sean at the end of 03. Yeah, he has a World Heavyweight title match with him in December of 03. The ma- the SummerSlam O two match with Sean is one of my favorite matches ever. And that was another one I almost picked for tonight, too. Yeah. Sean yeah. at Triple H from SummerSlam O2. They have the good match at the Survivor Series, the first um the first chamber. Then they then they, they have a three stages of hell at Armageddon O2. Not as violent or as crazy as this one tonight was. But yeah. stop but solid. But the minute the feud with Scott Steiner starts, that's where everything starts to kind of circle the bowl a little bit. Yeah. So that that's that's the tough part. I think I'm gonna watch this best of uh, Stone Cold. I think you've motivated me.
2: Um, <laughs> well, I I'll tell you, man. I, my I think the best Triple H. I absolutely loved it because it became so meta, and it really just was like, okay, you guys want to believe this? Well, then we're just gonna run with it. Is him in 2014? Him with the Authority is awesome. Oh, okay. I love it because I feel like his promos, his all the all the crap about his promos. I can kind of, I, I kind of sympathize with the criticism. Like I get it. Like, um, they they were kind of these long, and i wanted to talk. Like it took me 38 minutes to actually get to the point of the show with you, just because I wanted to talk stuff out with you. But it, the, his promos to start a Monday Night Raw could be a little laborious. Could take a little bit of huge wind up before we actually throw the ball type of thing. But I'll tell you, man, by the time it gets, by the time we're getting into post-2010, and even him as as a worker, but then more so him with the authority, I loved his promos and how he just embraced the character that people invented of him. Not even just the Triple H character. like, I'm going to be the Triple H you all want me to be. Which is the guy that just buried everybody on camera and behind the scenes and and just the way he he could see sets up Daniel Bryan I think that is some of his best and I'll tell you man he has one of my all-time favorite entrances and it's not even the O2 one at, at MSG which I we talked about off air is, is really special to you I love his Royal Rumble entrance in 2016 and the reason I love it is he does it, it's such a lesson in theater it's such a lesson in, his, in less is more the way he just walks out Eyes are completely locked on Reigns. He doesn't do anything but just look at him. What's crazy is he almost turns himself babyface, even though he's supposed to be the heel coming out. And, of course, the crowd wasn't going to allow it anyway because it's Reigns. But the way he comes out is so badass that there are few times that I've seen an entrance that good that was just like taking it slow, taking it nice and slow all the way down there. And it's so anti him because... I'm so used to seeing him come out, especially with Mania matches. Like he is pumped, he is psyched up to come out for his match. The way he comes out, so calculatingly slow and methodical. I absolutely love it. That's one of my all-time favorite moments of his. Such a small thing, but
3: Uh, on a side note, uh, uh, the matches, the 25 years of Triple H match uh, list. One of the matches is the match with Austin at. Buried Alive '96. Oh, cool. That's cool. That's pretty right funny on. that you and I were just talking about
2: that. Yeah, right on. Well, Scott, let's uh, let's get in. Let's get in the plugs, man. Tell everybody about Place to Be Nation. Uh, what's going on? Like, I love you guys' projects. That's one of the best things I think you all do. That really zags against where all of us are zigging, kind of with our wrestling content. So tell us all about it.
3: Well, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at ptb podfather. Um, we have. There's tremendous uh, wrestling content everywhere. Placemanation.com is still cranking our wonderful website run by my good friend, Andy Atherton. We, of course, still have the Place to Be Network Wrestling feed, uh, which is pretty awesome. Still get the Place to Be podcast there, myself and JR. Uh, we have uh, Place Nation's main event, which is myself, Nate Milton, and Steve Willie. We talk current wrestling, which is pretty much nothing, and, <laughs> and uh, talk about some other fun stuff. Uh, there's some great shows on there. Um, there's you don't know Billy Jack. There's uh, with this ring, a couple of new shows. Uh, there's the special relations podcast with my three guys from the UK. Uh, Jenny and the Gems, where uh, my friend, good friend Jennifer Smith, and a couple of myself and a couple other guys, we dive into the the hidden gems section of the network and find some type of crap show that's <laughs> that's buried in the in the uh, in the annals and try to have some fun with it. Uh, so lots of great stuff on the Place to Be Wrestling Network. Myself and my good friend Dr. G, who is just as big a Stone Cold fan, sir, as you are, uh, we do our weekly NWA Saturday special. Uh, you can check that out Saturday mornings both on the on the feed and on PlaceBeNation.com. Uh, we were covering the current modern NWA right now, but of course they're on hiatus, so we're doing a lot of historical stuff. There's also the Place Be Nation pop feed, which has all sorts of great TV, movies, comics, all sorts of great stuff there. Uh, my good friend Jennifer Smith has the Jenny position, which is also a tremendous wrestling feed, uh, wrestling feed, podcast feed. Uh, no wrestling on there. Um, and uh, the brand new feed, well, that just popped out that my the the JR just helped start with Chad Campbell called the North South Connection Podcast. Uh, tons of content. We were we were just getting so overloaded with shows on the Place to Be Wrestling Network feed that JR decided, you know what, I think we need to branch off, and I think I need to start. Uh, you know, s- something fresh. And I said, I- I'm, I'm all game for it. The more, the merrier, the more we can conquer the podcast, plenty of room for great pods as you very well know, sir. Yeah. Um, so check out the North South connection podcast. That's uh, Jr. Chad Campbell, Aaron George. Uh, by the way, our good friend Jacob Williams on that feed will has a podcast called the, um, the ruthless aggression pod. He's actually going <laughs> nice. through that, that timeline. Um, so I recommend checking it out. Uh, the first two episodes are up and it's, it's very, very good. Um, so there you go. Those are, that's, that's pretty much everything. Um, the place to be wrestling network place to be nation pop, the Jenny position and the North South connection podcast, all three, tr- four tremendous feeds, plenty of wrestling. We need it. We need it. Seriously. We need your guys shows. We need your show. We need you guys. We need wrestling in our world somehow because, uh, we don't have any sports, so we need something. <laughs> right. Um, and who knows how long empty arena wrestling is going to go. Um, <sighs> yeah. Because I think we're all kind of losing our patience with that. Um,
2: it's had the. I heard the viewership was the lowest it, it's ever been this past Monday. So I feel like we're going to get that every single week. It's the lowest.
3: It is, yeah. Um, I think May 10th, which is the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, apparently they're going to wrestle from the bottom of the – the headquarters and they're going to wrestle all the way to the roof uh, and they on the roof is going to be the briefcase something of that nature some kind of can't wait oh my god. god can't wait yeah. for this the, yeah it's wow. gonna be crazy yeah uh driving by titan towers every day uh makes me giggle i'm not gonna lie because i work in stanford so um but uh yeah please check out all the great the great podcast feeds that i'm on that other people are on check out this guy's show because he's awesome which you obviously do because you're listening to it now and uh yeah, we all need each other at this point. Quarantine sucks. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm actually an essential, so I still actually have to work. So, well, not not still have to work. I still have to go to my job. I don't have I don't have the luxury of working from home. Although I know some people think it's a curse just as much as it is a blessing. Um, but we need the wrestling in our lives. We need the content. We need to stay entertained. Yeah. No. So, I hear you. There's plenty of it out there for us.
2: Well, guys, you know where we are. We're on Facebook, New Blood Rising Podcast, and we're on Twitter at New Blood Pod. And I just want to say again, Scott, this is a real pleasure to do this just because, again, like this show, and I know there are other shows out there. And what's funny is, like, I can tell when I listen to them, like, that's not your bit. You got that from place to be. I know you did. That's why I've always tried to make it a point. If I'm going to reference something like you, you reference it, you say you got this is where you heard it. This is where you got it, because that's important to give credit where credit's due. But again, there's so many of us that we we're only doing this because we heard guys like you and Justin who were having so much fun and doing it so well. I was like, man, that would be fun to do, too with my friends. So it's really a pleasure, man. I really appreciate you doing this. And I thank you very much for everything that you guys have done for wrestling Podcast Cause it's, it's a lot.
3: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And you guys do, you do a great job. This show was tremendous. Again, check, obviously you're checking it out cause you're on it. And, uh, you know, Jr. And I didn't start this pod to make money or to, you know, be like Conrad or whatever, or anything like that. We just wanted to have fun. We were two re- two great friends two great wrestling fans and we're like, you know what? I just want to talk wrestling. You know, um, we were at a time, you know, in 2010, 2011, where the company, where the business was a little, and I thought it'd be great to talk wrestling history. And that's exactly what we did. And I never thought that it would get, uh, to this point where people, and and again, thank you. I, I I seriously mean it. it. It means a lot to hear someone like you say that, um, Someone who's who's and you 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 do a tremendous job. Your pod is is fantastic. I just want to say that um, that we can motive that we've motivated people to do their own pod. That's so that that's what our goal is. Our goal is just to make people happy and to have fun. You know, because nothing in life is fun at the moment. Everything sucks. So you know you want to have you want to have fun. And if putting a mic in front of you and and getting a Skype and you know finding people and just talking wrestling and and again. It doesn't matter about quality in the beginning. Just have fun. You're going to you're going to iron out the kinks eventually. I mean, again, listen to JR's in my first like 15 pods. The content might not be too bad, but the quality is fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I am i will admit it, he admits it. Once we started once we had the money to buy like good equipment, like good microphones and and I had a be, I got a better laptop and he got a better MacBook and then 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 you, that part gets ironed out and then everything sounds great. But in the beginning, just have fun. Yeah. Because people will look past the technical part of it, if you're if you're entertaining them enough and um, whether you get a thumbs up or a thumbs down, somebody listened. And if they were entertained enough to get mad, you've done yeah. your job just as much if you entertain them by smiling. I've always I've always believed that because um, criticism doesn't hurt if you do it tactfully. It's like saying you hate Triple H because you married the boss's daughter. That's <laughs> stupid. I hate Triple H. So I think he's a terrible wrestler. OK. I don't agree with you, but you're entitled to that opinion. But to tell me that you hate Triple H, you hate us because um, I don't like the sound of your voice. Oh, all right. Whatever. (laughs) Nothing I can do about it? You know what I mean? Right. Um, You just take it in stride. You never get discouraged by stuff like that. You never get discouraged. by. you're going to get people that are going to give you grief. It's okay. You're going to get people that are going to nitpick because I, you know, WrestleMania 14 was in 2000. No, it wasn't. It was in 1998. And then they lean on that. Oh, well, some people have issues. (laughs) I'm sure you've run into that yourself. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, So you just have fun, man. Like you're having you guys have fun with your awesome pod. All of us here, Place Me Nation, we have fun with our pods and we all work together. And uh, I hope uh, I hope I can filter some more people to 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 guest to to join you because I love this concept. I wish I I I might steal it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs)
2: go for it man to be honest man how many uh, the thing like you know how hard it was to do the invasion I'm like I've heard these episodes but I can't like I have to I have to steer away from just doing uh, just the the greatest hits of Scott and Justin like I have to it's it that that was one thing that was that was that was really hard so believe me man he can take all day because I'm I know people have taken from you all so it's it's quite right. um But, guys, he is Scott Criscolo. He is the podfather from Place to Be Nation. And I am William Rinkin. You can find me on Twitter at WilliamRinkin83. And we will see you all next time.
0: Kick out! Kick out, Cactus! (laughs) Goodbye, my friend. That's the goodbye. Goodbye, Cactus. Thanks for the great memories, buddy. You're going to be missed, Cactus. Godspeed, McCauley.